What uh? What do you do with your money? Yeah, uh, I know you got a ranch. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 I think you live. But he, 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 he he's had that time. forever. That I mean, that was like my house. That, that so it's it's not like it wasn't right. like a hot uh, like a luxury property or whatever. It's not like Kanye it. having a ranch in Wyoming. You actually live yes. there because you wanted to live there. Sam Sam I think has some some similar aspirations. Um, but what do you do? Are you like I'm an investor? You just do something boring with your money. What do you, What do you do with your yeah, money? Yeah. Uh, well, I, sp I spent a lot of it on this bookstore. Uh, I I I bought two buildings in this in this small town of Bastrop. Uh, originally, it was going to be a bookstore and a coffee shop. Now it's a bookstore, and I rent out half of it to a uh, a record store. But I wanted I needed like a space to do all my stuff. So up top is like my office. My wife also wanted me to take all my books out of our house. Uh, so uh, that, that was part of it. It was like getting all the, the shit out. Um, but no, I don't really do anything. I don't really do anything with it. I, I invest it. Um, I'm, I like investing in things that are very different than internet things. So most of it's like in income producing real estate. How do you describe yourself? You know, I don't do it very well. Uh, you, you, you nailed, I, I would sort of, if I had to say, what do I identify as? I would say I identify as a writer. And then I, I sort of have these other things that I do in, that are somewhat related and somewhat unrelated. But like, if I had to sort of only pick one thing or like, what, what do I feel like I was like meant to do? It's, it's writing. So I identify first as that. Sean, do you remember this? Did I ever show you this coin I used to carry around? I, I would have it with me a lot, particularly in the old San Francisco office. I had a coin. Very you remember? Two-Face of you. No, I've yes. never, never seen your coin. What do you do There's with this There's Two-Face of me. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it said, um, what did it say? Momentous? Memento what, what does it say, Ryan? Yeah, which means like you're, you're going to die. You only live once, right? By the way, don't you love that? Sam carried it around for years. Doesn't know what it says on it. <laughs> <laughs> Momentous. <laughs> it's... I knew that it meant like you're, you're momentum. Like, you have to live today like you're gonna die. Yes. Right? And uh I was thinking about it. I bought one for twenty six dollars and I was thinking about it, I was like, this is the greatest business of all time. I just bought a <laughs> like a fake coin from Ryan for twenty six dollars. It cost him it was just probably a post, like a stamp just to mail it to me. So only fifty cents. There's <laughs> not gonna be any returns. There's no it's one size fits all, and it made me happy. And I carried it around, and I, I was like, "This is the—is that the greatest business of all time? Selling coins? It's—it's uh, been an—it's been a nice business, better than the publishing business, right? Like, what's interesting about books is like, like the the new book. So you spend two years of your life writing something. It's like sixty thousand words. Uh, you have to, you know, the publishers taking, managing all of it. So you know, they're they're the middleman and all of it. But like that book is twenty six dollars, and people, if if that book was thirty two dollars, people would be upset because there's like a, a a sense of what a book should be, right? Like this is what people are willing to pay. And, and regardless of how good the book yeah, is or not, it's exactly. like something of this shape, I pay either $9, $13 or $26. Yeah, right. And so one of the things uh, as, as Daily Stoic, which I started as this email list became sort of uh, big, the idea was like, okay, are we going to advertise? Uh, are we going to monetize this via advertising? Uh, or are we going to like, is there stuff we can sell that you know, makes it a business to pay for itself. And uh, as we were thinking about stuff you could do, because I came from the apparel business before I was a writer, um, 
I was like, we are not doing t-shirts. Under no circumstances are we doing t-shirts. First off, because t-shirts uh, uh, are like, are you know, it's kind of cheap, you know, but t-shirts are the worst business you can do. So like bands become popular, people build a brand. The first thing they always think is t-shirts. But what I remember is just how fucking complicated t-shirts are. First off, because you have to get someone to make them. But if you sell one t-shirt, that's already at a minimum three SKUs, right? Small, medium, large. If you want to do extra large and, and uh, yep. extra small, okay, now five SKUs. And then you're like, okay, we're going to do white. Then we're going to do black. So now you have 10 SKUs, right? And it's inf and then, then they don't fit. There's quality control issues. All So I was like, we're not doing shirts. And also like shirts, even though all of that, people will only pay certain amount for shirt because we don't value it as a thing. So um, I, was think I, I was like, I want to make something that has better margins, that's less work, all of that. So I was just really thinking about it. And then one day I was at the airport. I was at the Austin airport. And I was thinking about this idea of Memento Mori, which is, um, like if you look at a lot of old, like Renaissance paintings, the philosopher always has a skull on its, on his desk. Um, and, and so yeah. the, there was a, as a philosophical genre of like reminders of mortality. And I was like, it would be really cool to have a reminder of that. What would that be? I was like, well, I could get a tattoo. And then I was like, well, I don't really want to get a tattoo. And, uh, so I was like, what could I have? And, and the idea of the coin popped into my head and it turned out to be really cool. We actually use this mint in, um, Minnesota that invented the the Alcoholics Anonymous chip like that you get at like 10 years or 20 years. So um, they've been in business since 1888. Wow, that's crazy. I think I and think we're their biggest customer now. Um, uh, and uh, that also is a really cool business that uh, I've been fascinated with. But yeah, that was a, that was a cool. I'm going to I'm going to ask you about the okay. mint, a mint in a second, because I have another mint that I think you're going to get okay. a kick out of. But Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform with an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Do you, uh, can you reveal how many of those coins you sell a year or do you not talk about I, that? I, I don't want to say exactly how many, but like ten, tens of thousands. Uh, it's uh, a, a lot of them. And, and people like I'm giving a talk in Marble Falls uh, next week and like they bought one for each of the attendees. So it, it also became it's a really cool way to t like what I'm interested in is not like tchotchkes or like just random ass merchandise, but like what are Phyllis... What are physical manifestations of the ideas that I talk about that could actually provide value in some way? So, like, I have I have this uh, this one on my desk, but then the other one uh, that I have this for my others. This is this one says "Tempest Fugit," which means "Time Flies." This is like a parenting one. It's just a reminder that like to be present as a parent. So I, I kind of start with stuff that would be helpful to me, and then if if it works for other people, it's good. I do think entrepreneurs tend to think about digital products first and not physical products that have good sure. margins. And this, so that's been really cool. Well, how much does a coin cost you? A dollar? Uh, more than that, uh, because more than that. And then there's also packaging and all, all that, all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, it's, I'll, I'll just say it's, it's a good, it's a good margin. Uh, but, um, 
but uh, yeah, it's a good mark. Not as good as a digital product, but good enough. Th that business, I feel like, um, you know, I have this phrase, you, you know, you, you are what you admire, which is like, if you admire things enough, you, you end up moving in that direction. Yeah. And that's a type of business that I've really like the thing, the, the little thing you just said gets like the highest amount of respect for me. Like, okay, Elon can send a rocket to Mars, you know, Steve Jobs can fucking, you know, wear his turtleneck and do his thing. But an entrepreneur who says, well, I wanted to create, I really was interested in stoicism. So I created this free thing to give it away. And I didn't know what the business would be. The traditional model doesn't really work ads. Um, it would like, you know, how kind of shitty would a stoicism newsletter be if it was just plastered with sure. ads? Uh, but I did it anyways, betting on myself that I'll figure it out. And then I figured it out first by having my little framework of like, what's a thing that represents this belief that has high margins, that has low headache, that like I have a DTC business with over like 3000 SKUs. So when you're saying yeah. that my body's just like, you know, inside just shriveling up and dying. Um, and I'm like, oh, wow, what, how amazing would it be if I had one skew that was just high margin and like I could just make that skew amazing. Um, so hearing you pull that off and, uh, you know, the way it kind of like Sam has it and people at the conference buy it to me, that's like, you know, top level respect because uh, the creativity that that requires and the thoughtfulness that that requires is um, is kind of amazing. I think most people would just kind of declare creative bankruptcy and say, I don't know. I don't know how to figure it out and just never, never. This do is it. why I think Shopify is going to be like the biggest company in the world because they like let people do that. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you mm -hmm. just come up with an idea and then, you know, it plugs into a third party warehouse, although I have a fulfillment center here in Austin where I do some of the stuff out of the bookstore, but just like that you can just come up with stuff and make it and sell it to people is, is to me is going to unlock like so much potential. Um, and part of the reason I'm able to have the books to like a physical space is that because most of what I sell online can subsidize like a uh, in-person retail also. Right. Sean, have you heard of th this story is going to come full circle, but not till the end. Have you heard of Stuart Resnick? Stuart Resnick? No. All right. Have, I bet you've heard. Oh, of, I think I know this guy. They own the pistachio company, right? Yeah. Like, so when you go uh, to the store and it, juice or whatever. Yeah. So they own this. It's a privately owned company. It's probably one of the large. Right? Uh, Linda and Stuart Resnick is probably one of the largest uh, privately owned companies in America. They do multi billions in revenue. His he started like a security business that he sold and he got some money. And then now he owns Palm Wonder, like the, the drink Palm drink. He owns um, pistachios and a bunch of stuff. Anyway, he one of his first businesses after he sold his security company and made a little bit of money, he bought this thing called the Franklin Mint. Mm. And the Franklin Mint, I knew, I knew Ryan, I knew you were going to know what this was. And the Franklin Mint basically started out by selling coins. Eventually they expanded to a bunch of other collectibles, but they started selling coins. And up until somewhat recently, they are one of the largest, I think, advertisers of digital and uh, not digital um, print media. And so, like, if you would open up a magazine, like a USA, like a like a TV and news guide, like the guy, things, they were always selling coins, and it was Franklin Mint, and he uh, sold it for like two or three hundred million dollars when he was done with it. And you know who bought it recently was Ty Lopez. Oh wow! No Didn't way. he buy Radio Shack also? And a bunch yeah. of shit. He's bought so, so much stuff. So hold on, I'm, I'm kind of stupid. What these mint? Okay, is the mint literally a coin factory? So they take metal and they shape it into a coin of your choosing, and then they they sell it uh, or they, they, you know, they provide it to, to you who sells it. Is that the idea? Is a coin factory? Is that what a mint is? Yeah. Although the Franklin mint is like commemorative quarters and dollars and stuff, right? 
but they don't but they do like they do like, they do like a prince do that no but the, yes they do but they got actually sued because they use like a princess diana coin or they've done like a like a i don't know like some like famous person that like middle american moms like care about you can buy like a coin with their face on it. Uh, Interesting. I've met this guy who has a very interesting path that like intertwines with the Silk Road and other things. And uh, he had said something like he's like, yeah, what I'm doing now is I'm buying these email lists of like hundreds of millions of people like the, you know, like the leaked Madison Reed or whatever. What was it? not Madison Reed? What's the Ashley Madison yeah, like, yeah, yeah. email list for like uh, LinkedIn got hacked. Cool. I'll take all those emails. And like you can't you can't really even send to that big of a list. It's like too dirty and you'll get like banned or whatever. But he like had some like expertise and how to send mass emails. And he, I was like, what are you going to do with this? Like you start a new thing. And he's like, oh, no, I'm just going to find people who like Trump and I'm going to sell them coins. <laughs> I'm going to sell coins and hats to Trump fans. And I was like, I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah, like if 0.2% of my list, 0.02% of my list or whatever ever converts, uh, like, you know, I'll just make millions of dollars passively sending these emails. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is the, the one of the craziest business plans I've ever well, heard. There's an argument that Fox News basically exists for the sake of like reverse mortgages, gold coins and other forms of grift. Like you, if right. you watch Fox News, just the commercials, you get a sense of like just how dumb the audience is, to be perfectly honest. And then you realize <laughs> why the content, it's almost as if like I heard this great thing about spam. They were saying like, like, you know, you get an email from like a Nigerian scammer and you're like, oh, this is obviously spam. That's because it's right. not for you. Right. It's for someone who's dumb enough to, to not be bothered by how all the red flags that are there and so well even further it's uh they want people who after they get scammed won't really know how to like have any yes, recourse yes so they, they won't be able to get back at you and so they, they filter out all the people who have like lawyers yeah and so when you watch fox news and you get the sense oh this exists to create the kind of customer that would fall for these like obscenely high margin almost criminal enterprises I know this is an exaggeration, but, but, but like right on this side of what's legal or not businesses that tend to exploit not very smart or savvy people, that's why the content is what it is. It's to set up the commercial break where people won't buy real things. When you turn on pretty much any other form of entertainment, you're not seeing those advertisers because right. you're, that's not who it's appealing well, to. This Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. It reminds me of in India, uh, and I want to do a deep dive on this at some point, but there's like India has this culture of gurus, right? So like in, first in terms of gods, we have like whatever, 50 gods. So the, the, and then, then the gods all have like their gurus and the, the kind of like the saints type of people who give, you know, genuinely good advice, but then they also kind of like do magic tricks and you're like to show that they're like, you know, you know, the, the, the man of God, it's like, he can produce something in his hand, but it's like literally an illusion, uh, like, yeah. a, like a magic trick. Um, but the way they work is they have this like 
virtue virtuous brand of being this person who only wears their white robe and they like don't have any material possessions whatever but when you go to visit them and people i mean there's like miles long lines like going wait like crawling up mountains literally they crawl to show their devotion to get to this person's like thing and then you donate your gold chains you donate like gold and so these guys inevitably get raided by the government because they pay no taxes and they like you know are involved in crimes and they go they find like tons of gold literally like the physical the measurement yeah. tons of gold in their house and they have like and then they'll like license these like chip brands and like popcorn brands and stuff like that and it's like the face of this guru but he's selling like you know potato wow. chips dude vikram like yoga that. vikram yoga had ketchup i think yeah it's crazy wow. yeah no it's uh it's so it's uh it's very strange uh once you get into sort of the back end of how some of this stuff works do you know anyone, Ryan, who's outselling you in terms of coins? <laughs> it's selling more coins. No, I mean, I do sometimes wonder, yeah. like when when um, when we order, like we we'll, we'll order, like you know, a bunch of the coins from the from the mint, uh, which is in Minneapolis, and they'll be like, "Oh no, we're really backed up. Like, sorry, your order will be like in a couple <laughs> weeks or whatever." And I'm always like, "Who is in? A, who is ahead of me?" Um, but but there there is. I mean, so so I was thinking about it, like. I was thinking like, okay, I wanted a reminder of Memento Mori, and then I thought coin, um, and and it, it didn't occur to me because I had a bunch of them already. So I was probably, uh, but there is a, a genre of th there's a, a thing called a challenge coin that like the military gives out or police officers give out or firefighters give out. Sometimes it's like a commemoration, like you visited this place, but like if you did like you know this tour of duty and operation enduring freedom or whatever like they'll they'll often give you challenge coins so i think a lot of them are like government clients or um uh like you know nonprofits or organizations there, there's like that but like i could get them done like we were talking about margins they would be much cheaper for me to make them in in large bulks like from china um but but we haven't done that we've always used this this original place um I wanted to do made in USA, but then, and then as it happened during the pandemic, it was great because it was like, we never ran out of stock of any of our products because everything we sell is, is made in the U S. That's awesome. Now, Brian, I wanted to ask you because you've done a bunch of different things. Okay. So you're a, a you're a college dropout, yeah. correct? You, um, you worked for Tucker Max or you consulted with Tucker Max, uh, Robert Green, who's the kind of 48 laws of power or whatever. Um, you've written a bunch of books, you've, you own a independent bookshop, you got your coin business, you sell courses on that. You've done a bunch of different things. Okay. So I wanted to play a little okay. game just to get to know you game. And, um, and it's called first, worst, best, best, last, weirdest. Okay. And basically it's on job. Okay. So what was the first job? And it doesn't have to be like a job. It could be like a side hustle you had. So what's the first kind of dollar you earned? I worked at a, I worked at a deli at a grocery store called Obexers in, uh, in Homewood, California, right on Lake Tahoe. And what were you doing at the deli? Uh, like making sandwiches. And I worked in the stock, like, just like a, like a, just a kid. I was 15, 15, 16, yeah, 15, yeah. uh, you know, just like $6 an hour, whatever minimum wage was, uh, in California then. Just a you know kid who worked at a little little small town grocery. And what, what was it like? Because you okay, you make six dollars an hour. I don't know how many hours you're working, but you end up with like you know a couple hundred bucks after you know a couple of weeks. That's a lot of money to a kid. Do you remember like what you did with the money or how you felt about that that amount of money at that I time? You know what? I don't remember what I I was super into snowboarding, so I probably bought a snowboard or something. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, it occurred to me the other day, I was just thinking about this, that I basically worked nonstop since I was 15 years old. Like, uh, <laughs> then I worked at, I worked at Wendy's after that, if I remember correctly, that was a lifeguard. So I've had like a bazillion jobs, but that was, that was the first one. And then like, I feel like at age like 18 or 19 or something stupid, you were like the boss of American Apparel or something like, just like yeah. something ridiculous. Or like at 18, you like worked for Robert Greene writing 48 Laws of Power. Well, 48 Laws of Power came out when I was uh, like... 11 years old, but, um, so not, not exactly, but, uh, I did, I started working for Robert when I was 20 and then I was, uh, the director of marketing in American apparel, like in my, in my early twenties. So, so you, when you dropped out, you dropped out because what, you just hated school or you had something you wanted to no, do? No, I liked school, but I wanted to be a writer. And so I, I had this, I was going to UC Riverside. So, uh, I was, I was working for Tucker, who was at that point, one of the first bloggers to, to have a book deal. Um, so I was like, uh, I was working for him doing like marketing and online stuff. And then he got me a job at a talent agency, um, where I did like, yeesh, I could not see you fitting in uh, there. Yeah. I was like answering phones and stuff, but I worked on like new media. Uh, like, so this is right. Like YouTube had just sold. Um, so everyone's sort of interested in internet talent. So that's what I was working on. And then, um, the summer I was at the end of that summer that I was working there, I was supposed to go back. It's a college. And within one week, uh, I got an offer to to stay on at the talent agency. To, to I was working for this movie producer there to be his assistant. Uh, and then uh, I'd met Robert Greene and Robert Greene needed a research assistant on a book he was writing called The 50th Law. And so... Uh, and why did all these people like you? Why did Tucker hire you when you're 18? What did you What did you do to get hired by him? Because at the time he's writing basically like funny yeah. dating stories and sex stories, right? Like that was like his blog at the time, if I remember correctly. I think I was very young, very ambitious, very hardworking, and I was just obsessed with the internet, like what what this sort of internet culture would become. Um, and I loved books, like I just I've always loved books, and so I I think they sensed that I wanted to be a writer and they sort I sort of went under their wing as like an apprentice in uh you know how, how to do how to do what they did did you just cold email them or so when I, I met Tucker because I was writing for the college newspaper and I wrote an article about him which is what I was doing I would oh, write articles cool. about people in the way that now you'd be like oh I want to meet this person uh, will you come on my podcast right um yeah, but but exactly. this is before podcast so I would just interview people and write articles about them so that's how I met Tucker uh, I was a huge Robert Green fan so I met Robert through uh through Tucker and then the talent agency uh the guy who I worked for was producing a movie about Tucker's book first book so they're all sort of connected and then it was through Robert Greene, then I met Dove Charney, who was the director, of, or who was the founder of American Apparel. So it all kind of was all swirling about each other. And what was the first kind of like personal hustle you did, right? You're helping Tucker achieve his goals. You're helping Robert Greene achieve his goals. You're helping the talent agency find talent. When did Ryan go into business for Ryan? That's a good question. Um, I don't know what like the first thing I would have. I mean, I started my marketing company in 2000. 11 when I was writing my first book. But I think the, the first big bet I made on myself was, um, I mean, I'd done other like little stuff uh, before, but the first big, I, in 2011, I basically quit at American Apparel to go write what was uh, my first book, Trust Me, I'm Lying. So that was like the first big bet on myself. And that, and that was a hit. I mean, that was, that was 
pretty it, it seemed like it took off right away. Uh, it got a ton it, i sold it for a good chunk of money for for at least to me then um it got a ton of attention it ironically it will it sold well but it will earn it will probably earn out its advance uh by this summer which will be the 10th anniversary of it <laughs> like by the 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 i'm uh, it's looking like the the royalty statement i will get in July of 2022, which will be the 10-year anniversary of the book, it will finally go from po- from negative to positive on the advance statement. What was your advance? Uh, I was two fifty. Uh, it was I think it was two hundred with some incentives. Um, although when I announced it, um, I announced that it had been sold for five hundred thousand dollars because I know I knew people. Did, nobody actually fact checks press releases, so uh, <laughs> trust me. Yeah, I'm so so the whole point of the book was to prove that like uh, the problems I was talking about in the in the media system in the book were real. So I, I promptly uh, doubled the advance when I announced it, and and uh, no, nobody nobody checked. That's funny. Did you? Um... So you got a big advance. You didn't have that big of a following at that time. How did you finagle a, a, any advance, let alone like a quarter million dollar well, advance so, for so, your first So book? the bet on myself was that I, I left and I wrote the book first. Almost all nonfiction is sold uh, with a proposal and then you go write the book. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily need to do that. So I wrote the book. So I had what was... Like I had, I had, it's like, I had a good piece of property. Like I, I wrote something that was like, unlike all the other books at that time that I don't think really there's been that many books like it or that I would maybe, um, chaos monkeys would be another like similar book that I I'd sort of, uh, which I thought was good. Um, but, but so I sold it that way. Um, so I, I wrote it so then I had it. Um, but it was mostly just all the authors that I knew I sort of got in. Cause I, I'd worked for Tucker. I'd worked for Robert. I'd worked for Tim Ferriss at that point. So I had a pretty good sort of Rolodex of people who got me in the door when I, when I sold that book. Are you still doing the deals now, those type of deals now with all your latest books or are you self-publishing? I'm still at the same publisher, actually. I've done all my books with the same publisher. Um, uh, I've self-published uh, a children's book and then I've self-published two high-end editions of traditionally published books that I have. Like I have a leather edition of uh, The Daily Stoic and The Obstacle is the Way. Um, but other than that, everything's been traditionally published. I guess I own the audio why, rights. To why one is of my that? Because like from the outside, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel this way. It's like, oh, publishing, you know, record labels and book publishers. It's all just middlemen and they're they take advantage and the authors see so little, to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And someone like you, you have a a lot of business sense. B, you now have a track record. C, you have an independent audience you can sell to. Um so there must be some reason that you say, no, actually, people don't get it, that you do want to publish it for these reasons. What I look that? at it on a, <clears throat> a case-by-case basis. You're just, you're really doing the math. Um, will uh, will the, th- what they're paying for it plus the royalty, um, what, what are you thinking you will earn, you know, in a short amount of, uh, of time or, or, you know, in a certain amount of time. So I, I just do the math on each project. So every time I think about a book, just because I have a publisher, if obviously if no one was interested in publishing it, it would be a different story. Um, but I, I, you know, I conceive of what the book is and then I take it out. My publisher has a first look deal at my books. Um, I, and I see what, you know, what they, what they think, what they're willing to pay. 
And then, you know, I have an agent. And so we obviously try to get that number up as high as possible. Um, and then once I have that number, then I think, okay, what would this look like if I did it myself? So what would it cost me to do it myself? What am I likely to sell myself? Um, how much work is that going to be? How much of a distraction is that going to be? Um, and 90% of the time, you know, the math, the math tends to go towards traditional publishing in my experience. Um, the, the kids book that I did, the publisher just wasn't, uh, wasn't, it like wasn't in their wheelhouse. They didn't totally get the project. Um, but, uh, so I did it myself and it's been great and really fun and artistically fulfilling, but also just an incredible amount of work. I mean, like the coins I sell directly from my store, right? The manufacturer makes them, they drop it off at the warehouse, they get shipped. Um, fulfilling books through Amazon is like, in an, like, and then also the thousand independent retailers in the United States, plus every international edition, you know, um, is extraordinarily uh, logistically difficult. Um, and I remember you, you gave this talk one time that was awesome where you showed a chart of the sales of your book versus the normal book. So a normal book, you get a peak, and then it pretty much just kind of goes away. But then for some of the classics, you get a peak, and then it goes down a little bit, but then it kind of quickly comes up to the point the word even like it's pretty steady throughout like a catcher in the rye or something like that, or even sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll suck early on and just slowly get better. Your books, if I remember correctly, they, they popped just like everyone else. They went down a little bit just like everyone else, but then they like raise and were pretty steady with daily sales. And you're like, that's because I make shit that can last a long time. And this was actually for when you were writing perennial seller, yeah. I think you were like proving this point is, is, is that still the case? And considering all of your other businesses is book, is making books still where you make the majority of your income or are you just using that because you love it and it happens to make money and you, but you make the bulk of your money from other shit. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, most nonfiction authors make more money from speaking than from books. Um, that's because speaking can be more lucrative, but it's also because most authors don't sell very many books. Right. Um, so I, I'm in an unusual space where, um, my books do sell consistently and I have a lot of them. Uh, so I, I make a good living from that, but probably make more money from stuff other than books than books uh, all, all in. Dude, that's crazy. Um, that, that you're like the man and yet still it's like the other. Well, that, that's, like, that's another like reason to traditionally publish, right? So, so like uh, you, you're, a publisher does not take any percentage of speaking, does not take any film or TV adaptations, uh, does not take any ancillary products, any merchandising, anything like that. So really, this the book is um, it's not a loss leader because uh, people pay for books and 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 books have value to people. But like the 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 ideas in the book, everything else is downstream from whether that that takes hold or not. Does that make sense? Um, so if the book doesn't land, all the other stuff you know doesn't really matter. But if the book works all the other stuff happens and then the success of the book is slightly less, uh, less significant. I think, um, what my, so, so in publishing, there's the front list and the back list front list is anything, uh, within one year 
that like the year of release that's considered a frontlist title and then it becomes uh, a backlist title after a year um so most titles stop selling when they leave the backlist uh, when they leave the frontlist and become on the backlist but almost all of the income in publishing is from the backlist Wow. So, so for me, it's about so like, think? I'm, tr I've tried to create that in my own, my own catalog of like titles that sell every year, um, as opposed to like a big book that comes out, gets a lot of attention. Then, then three, four years later, I have to write another new book. Cause the other one is like not relevant anymore. It's like, it's like Michael Buble or, or Mariah Carey writing a Christmas song. You know, you, you want that Christmas hit. You want that annuity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so like uh, my book, The Daily Stoic, when, when my agent was like, we should do a page, you should do a page a day about stoicism. And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, it will be your best selling book. And I was like, there's no way. That doesn't make any sense. He's like, yes, it will. Every and New he's Year's. He's like, it will. And he's right. It, the book sold uh, more copies this already this January than last January. Amazing. What uh? What do you do with your money? Yeah, uh, I know you got a ranch. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 I think you live. But he, 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 he he's had that time. forever. That I mean, that was like my house. That, that so it's it's not like it wasn't right. like a hot uh, like a luxury property or whatever. It's not like Kanye it. having a ranch in Wyoming. You actually live yes. there because you wanted to live there. Sam Sam I think has some some similar aspirations. Um, but what do you do? Are you like I'm an investor? You just do something boring with your money. What do you, What do you do with your yeah, money? Yeah. Uh, well, I, sp I spent a lot of it on this bookstore. Uh, I I I bought two buildings in this in this small town of Bastrop. Uh, originally, it was going to be a bookstore and a coffee shop. Now it's a bookstore, and I rent out half of it to a uh, a record store. But I wanted I needed like a space to do all my stuff. So up top is like my office. My wife also wanted me to take all my books out of our house. Uh, so uh, that, that was part of it. It was like getting all the, the shit out. Um, but no, I don't really do anything. I don't really do anything with it. I, I invest it. Um, I'm, I like investing in things that are very different than internet things. So most of it's like in income producing real estate. In which state? Uh, Texas and Florida. And you're just buying like what, like multifamily? I have some multifamily. I have some mostly single, uh, single family, uh, and then some like vacation rentals. And you have a manager who? What, um, like, do you are you hands on with that? Is it a headache for you? What yeah, you I try. I mean, I try to have it be as little a headache as possible. I've, uh, most of them are managed by yeah property managers, um, but uh, but I like. It's not that I think the, the stuff that I do will go away, but I like the idea of like like my decision to write. Trust me, I'm lying and not having to think about needing to sell it up front. Um, there was a similar one when after I wrote Trust Me, I'm Lying, I was like, hey, for, you know, for my next book, I want to do this book about um, ancient philosophy. And they were like, um, are, you, are you sure? You know, <laughs> like they, so they gave <laughs> right. me less than half. I got seventy five thousand dollars for The Obstacle is the Way, um, which has sold, you know, many, many times more copies than Trust Me, I'm Lying. Um, and, you know, obviously set up all, all these other things. Um, but when they came back with that offer, I was like, okay, sure, whatever. You know, it, it wasn't, I didn't have to think about whether I could live on $75,000 for however long it took me to write the book because my life wasn't set up around needing. That's, that's really like when people hear a book advance, it can sound like a lot of money. Um, like even, you know, $200,000 to write, trust me, I'm lying. So 
But it's just like a salary, right? For two but, years. But even worse than that, right? So I had to, I, let's say I left my job exactly. and then 18 months later, the book came out um, from, from like when I left. So $200,000 over 18 months, that's, that's pretty good. But like I said, it hasn't earned another dollar for 10 years. So, so over 11 and a half years, uh, $200,000 is not, is not great. Um, but I really, I wanted, that's the book I wanted to write. And obviously it opened up other business opportunities, but I like to be able to do my creative work, um, and not have to think about, uh, does it make sense in the dollar and cents? And this is, this is how the entertainment business works as well. Like, um, Almost all the money is in the catalog in owning the intellectual property uh, over the long term. But you can't do that if you are dependent, like you get paid as an author every six months. Uh, so, and you're getting paid for the previous six months of earnings, not like, okay, it ended yesterday, here's your thing. You're, you're getting a, essentially a paid from a year ago. Um, and so that's like, you know, that's a, you can be living hand to mouth that way, even if you're a very well-known person who's in, you know, the media all the time. And so I, I want to be in a position where that's not the case. Sean, do you remember like uh, seven, maybe 2014, I think, basically when, when you and I were just getting to know each other, uh, there was this article that went viral and it said you can buy a ghost town in California for like $1.2 million. Do you remember that? It was like you could buy like an old mining ghost town. Yeah, that? and people did, a group did it, right? And I think yeah, I saw your I note think, today that um, Ryan was involved in that. I think Ryan and his, Ryan, so Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, you, I've never met Brent, Brent's in the other my, room. my best buddy. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, so listen to this, Sean. Okay, so Neville is good friends with Brent, so I've heard all about him. So if you go on YouTube, Sean, and you type in like ghost town Brent, You'll see this channel where this guy named Brent, he's this really cool dude who's got like 1.5 million subscribers on YouTube. Uh, he started living in this ghost town that he bought a while ago, but just when the COVID, when the pandemic hit, he just moved there and it, it went to the moon and it's the best YouTube channel I've watched. Well, anyway, Ryan, weren't you like the, you and Brent were like the mind, the brains behind it. You were just kind of the quiet one. I was one of, I was one of the investors. There's a, there's a bunch of investors. I think we know, uh, you probably know like half of them yeah. at this point uh, or more, more than half. Uh, but I, to be perfectly honest, I thought it was a terrible idea. I was like, you're, you're going to lose all your money. Uh, this is not going to work. Uh, but I, I mean, I've known Brent for so long. I, I just sort of was like one of the small token investors, but I, and I didn't see it becoming what it was becoming. I, I should have, like, I was thinking about it in terms of real estate because Brent and I have invested in, in, in real estate in Austin before. And so I was thinking about it in real estate, uh, and, you know, being from California, I was like, that area is like a, like a, a pit, you know? Uh, anyways, uh, I didn't think about it as a content play. And that's obviously what, what it ultimately probably will become. I mean, you could make more money off the YouTube channel than the actual, uh, any money you can make <laughs> off just turning it into a hotel. Well, that's one of the things well, I found with the bookstore. And, and that's kind of where, where the, the, it clicked for me was realizing that, so opening the bookstore that like, that making money from selling books might be the third or fourth, like least uh, important revenue stream or, or use of the property, like the office being number one, uh, the uh, space to film and make stuff like content being number two and then like real estate being number three and then uh you know like the actual uh brick and mortar retail business being like four or five that's amazing so you basically are like you bought a set 
the set actually just kind of functions. It's like if but you know, it's like, friends, dude, it's like three coffee. <laughs> it's like 300 acres in the middle of the mountains. Yeah. Have you seen it, Sean? No, 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 no I'm talking about the bookshop. But this, the, it's the, the same thing. Oh, the, oh. I mean, the, the, the ghost town is an enormous set. Uh, it's a set piece to <laughs> film and create content and have a, a life and a brand that people care about, you know, and uh, so so hold on. So it's been many years now. So what's actually what is it today? Is there I don't watch the YouTube channel. Is there like a functioning town? Do people come visit? What, what uh, well, the pandemic obviously made a hospitality business, you know, not very viable. So right now it's it's mostly just in the sort of rebuilding phase. They're like rehabbing all these different cabins. And then he films, you know, he films videos there and they do like merchandise and stuff like that. It's really but like my son, like my son is five. He watches one of those videos every night before bed. He's like obsessed with it. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like wow. a beautiful YouTube channel. It's, and Brent is very endearing. He's yes. awesome. And it's, I mean, it's crazy that the quality of stuff you can make, a one person can make with like a drone, a GoPro, and like, you know, one decent like Sony camera. Like you can, I mean, he's, he, it was at one point putting out like a 45 minute video a week. Like he was putting, like a television quality show out uh, for millions of people, you know, for like a couple thousand dollars a, a month. It's crazy what you can do. And he went, it went from like zero to like 1.5 or one point, I forget exactly, over a million subscribers in like 18 months. Yeah, right? I mean, he got tons of media attention. It's done like hundreds of millions of views. Um, I'm very bullish on YouTube as a social network. I'm like late to YouTube, ironically, considering that's like what I left school to focus on. Like I, I saw at this talent <laughs> agency, I signed their first youtube client and i remember this agent coming up to me and he's like what are you gonna do you're gonna commission their advertising revenue and i was like i guess yeah and like that's <laughs> like of course that that's way better than commissioning checks from you know a television series um because you this way you actually own own the stuff but um i've seen it even with with daily stoic like like as an author, you get recognized like every once in a while. It's actually been weird for me in the pandemic because like I haven't done th that much stuff. And so every time I, if I go out or I do something, like I was, I, I saw someone in Austin a couple weeks ago and then I was, I was just in New Orleans. And like because of YouTube uh, and, and like Instagram reels, like the amount of like fans I see in person, it's like exponentially different than what I was getting from like who I was Dude, before. I see you on TikTok like every day. You're in my TikTok feed every day. Uh, oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> telling me to like, you know. Uh, Think Marcus Aurelius said. Yeah, yeah. telling me something some ancient dude is, you know, said about, you know, remembering I'm going to die or like, you know, not not being anxious about the future. And I'm like, yeah, actually, this guy's talking some sense. Uh, I like it. And, and, this, and the, the video quality is actually really good. Um, like, I don't know if you're, I don't know what you're doing for that, but like, that's like a GoPro, that's a GoPro legit. nine hero. It costs $600 and you can shoot in 4k video with a, it doesn't even have an external mic. It's like, it's crazy what you can do. But you could do a 4k video on your iPhone. But when I upload on 4k, my shit never looks like I think the GoPro corrects, but I don't know. The GoPro does incredible. The, the lighting in the building, I have to say it, not something I control is, is quite good. Um, well, it looks like you're on like a farm and you're leaning on the I post. So, and, like you're in I the middle. The you're like in the middle yeah, of a yeah. walk. Uh, I mean, the GoPros are better for outside stuff, but yeah, you just, I mean, you just put it there and it shoots like you know super high quality stuff, and then somebody cuts it and up. Do and, you edit, or you just hand that off to somebody? You say, I, I like shoot for a week, and then I I try to shoot 
I try to sh think about what I want them to make when I'm shooting it. And sometimes I'll give notes. I'll be like, okay, you know, cut this here or whatever. But I'm mostly, yeah, I mostly just shoot in like small blocks. Um, and then the idea is like, okay, so if I'm shooting in, a, in you know, between 30 and one minute, 30 second and one minute chunks. Uh, okay, so that goes, uh, a th a th content of that size can go on Twitter. Uh, Instagram as a reel can be a Facebook video and it can be a, a, a TikTok. So you've got like four shot, four bites of the apple there. Then that content can be packaged together to make uh, videos on, on YouTube. So I'll take like eight of those and that can become an eight minute YouTube video. Um, and so, so by shooting like these little things, I get like lots of different like platforms that they can go out on. So basically um well so ryan i i had i, I made a living with a yeah. daily email sean sean just released this new business that he's working on which is amazing sean i gotta reply to your email it's called the milk road it's pretty hilarious and it's like a, a bit uh, a crypto daily email that he's working on with his partner ben but uh, you have the daily stoic yeah. which is awesome but you have this new ish thing that seems to be like working out really well. And honestly, I think could be like one of your bigger businesses. I also think it could be bigger because you could sell it because it's not exactly like the Ryan show, but it's called the daily dad. Is yeah. That so right? I do two daily emails slash podcasts, daily dad and daily stoic. Who's, who's writing all the daily dads? I stuff? write them all. I write daily dad and daily stoic. What? Yeah. How big's that business? Or how big is the email uh, list? Daily Dad is like 60,000 people, I think. Um, it's weirdly not as big as I want, not just want it to be, but I actually thought it would grow faster than Daily Stoic did. And it's actually been a little bit slower. Um, but uh, how big is the Daily Stoic? 400. Oh my God, yeah. really? Holy shit. And do you advertise to grow these or what are you just through content? Then you capture, you, you make videos. Yeah, I, and, I make and content, like uh, social drives, a lot of the signups. Um, and then the, the book, I mean, the book sold, you know, well over a million copies. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I write both of them and then it's, it's mostly organic, but I'm trying to, I'm having to get more serious about sort of, I think some of the low hanging fruits probably been picked. So I'm having to start to think more seriously about it as a, as a business, not just a content that I make. Man, you, 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 oh my God, you're killing me. Why weren't you advertising like three or four years ago? It was so much cheaper. You, you could go to acquire email for a dollar fifty. Now it's like five, six, seven dollars. Uh, I, I should have asked you. <laughs> so you, you're hanging out with people all the time that are, you know, super successful. I know a bunch of people who know you and I think you're respected in the kind of like the business world and entrepreneurial world, but I feel like the Matthew McConaughey world. <laughs> I feel like you you are uh, pretty grounded, and you're. I don't get the vibe from you that I get from a lot of people I hang out with, which is just like more, more, not enough. Uh, I'm not there yet. I got to go bigger, bigger, and uh, and really, it's just kind of like I haven't succeeded enough yet. I haven't earned enough yet. I want more money, more success, and I don't get that vibe from you. Are you just hiding it, or is that the case? Um... I mean, I definitely have, there's definitely a part of me that's in that. I mean, I've written 12 books in 10 years. If I was just like, oh, I'm good. You know, like clearly there's a drive there uh, or even some might say a compulsion. Um, I think, uh, so So there's a part of it, but I, I have, so I've been with my wife since, we, since I was 20. Uh, so we met like right as all this stuff was happening. And so, and then I had kids five years ago, 
Um, so I've always been a little bit more of like a normal person. I don't mean that in like a fucked up way, but I haven't been like, oh, I'm a digital nomad or like, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to go live in Puerto Rico for two years. Like, you know, like I've been right. more of just like a regular, like, I don't want to say a nine to five person, but like I've just been like more rooted in like regular people life than I think a lot of like creative entrepreneurial people I know who I tend to find are a bit more like chaotic. It sounds judgmental, but just it's a different lifestyle. And so I think that's I think that's a part of it. No, I, I know what you mean. Like, for example, right now, a whole bunch of my friends are either, you know, like you said, they're crypto rich, moving to Puerto Rico, so they don't pay taxes. They're going to Miami because I heard the actions yeah. there right now. I'm doing this, doing that. And I'm just like, but, you know, like I just got I have two little babies and I'm like what, the idea of moving. Like, I mean, the idea of like getting the kids into the car to go to the <laughs> yeah. park is like overwhelming, let alone like uprooting my life in some totally. way in any way taking like massive risks now just is not like appealing to me in the same way like when i was 24 i remember uh, i moved i picked up i moved to silicon valley i didn't know what i was going to do but i was like this is where the action is so i'm just going to move to silicon valley and then i ended up getting um this job working with this like billionaire dude and the office he had this dope office and i remember i slept in the office like 232 Jesus. days out of the 365 days. And I was just loving it. It wasn't like I was being yeah. forced. Nobody was forcing yeah, me to it, work. The, the office had an apartment, oh, right? Oh, Don't feel oh, bad it was for like it. It was like, it, it, was, it, was like nice. a, it had like $2 million of the furniture. It was a love. <laughs> it was a billionaire. It, imagine Peter Thiel's office. Yeah. I sure. wasn't sleeping in a garage. Like the, the yeah, bathroom yeah. floor was heated in the morning. So your feet weren't, your toesies weren't cold. So, you know, it wasn't super rough, but nonetheless, I basically was choosing to obsess and like, go all in in a way I was like excited about that and able to do it in a way that I couldn't as real life stuff layered on like relationship and kids and things like, like that. I remember when clubhouse blew up like a couple months ago or six I was like what like I, I was like I don't even want to go to a real conference let alone be in like an internet room conference like I it, it was just totally inconceivable to me that anyone would want to do it have the time to do it if that's so that's sort of not been I, like I actually like writing you know what i mean so the other part of it is is not just like the sort of uh wanting to have more of a normal sort of rooted life although i feel like i do weird unusual i, I take risks in other ways like living on this farm and stuff but um it, it was also like for me like i i writing to me is a calling that's a little bit different than i don't know um making money in crypto or something like it, it's it's a blessing and a curse right it's a blessing in that it's fulfilling it gives you purpose it's artistic. It's like a thing you master. There's also, I think, a ceiling on it, you know, and, and like you can you can be good at it. There's obviously the J.K. Rowlings of the world, but like, you know, um, you but, but there's not a ceiling to being famous. I mean, you know, we're both friends with Tim Ferriss and like his fame allowed him. I don't know what he's worth, but he's probably worth hundreds of millions of dollars because of his investment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there, there's not a ceiling on being well known and getting access to. No, things. but I mean, you sort of you end up in different niches, right? If you if you're called to be a poet, you know, obviously it'd be more lucrative to write business books. But like you are where you are, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, it's like you don't choose what muses visit you. I know that sounds a little mystical, but like you, I like sometimes people have been like, oh, he's writing about stoicism to get rich, which I always laugh at because like, again, I if I if being rich was what was motivating to me. I would do literally anything but this, right? Like this is the worst possible <laughs> of the things to have picked. Um, but I, I guess my, my thing is like, I, I really like 
the routine and the ritual of sitting down to write, which is also, I think, inherently a bit grounding in a way that like some of these other pursuits maybe aren't. What is your uh, normal workday look like? I mean, are you, are you doing like a nine to five? Uh, it's not nine to five. Like I wake up early. Uh, I, I go for a run or a walk with the kids, whether we're at my farm or my place in, in town. Um, I don't check my phone in the morning. Uh, I don't eat in the morning. I usually journal in the morning and then I go, I write usually for two or three hours. Um, and then the rest of the day after that is business, other work stuff. And I'm, I'm done by four almost every day. So I'm probably work eight thirty to four. Seems like a good ass. I like it. Me. I try to, I, but I, I like, hmm. it's important. There are also, I, I don't know, to me being really great at what you do and somehow managing to be like a somewhat normal person um to me is actually like a rarer thing to do than to to just be great at what you like i think if anyone decided to be like tom brady's tom brady but there's a cost to being tom brady but like if you choose to be that singularly dedicated to what you do it's easier to be better at what you do than to say like I'm going to work nine to five and be like great at what I do, if that makes sense. So you um, used to work for Tucker yeah. Max. You then became buddies with him and um, you had a, a, a business together. But I've never asked either of you about this. You've probably, it's based off of some of the stances I know that you've seen, you've written some great stuff about like a letter to your dad about voting for Trump. I know that you're against like some a lot of these statues and you've donated money to that. And uh, Tucker, I think, has gone the other way. Where now I wouldn't, I don't want to call it the opposite because, of course, he's probably against a, a lot of the things or for a lot of things you are, but maybe different. And he actually recently came out this article that uh, Sean and I talked about. It's called Doomsday Optimism, and it's about how, very bluntly, but he's such a good writer that like everything he writes, it seems like convincing. But basically, he talks about how he thinks like the American government is basically going to collapse in two to four years. And how he's preparing for doomsday, and it was like crazy fascinating. But I, what is your opinion on that? I, I, I've been eager to ask you what you think about that, and what if you have an opinion on it. Uh, Tucker was very good to me early in my career and uh, set me up for the success that I've had. So I'm, I feel very grateful for that in a lot of ways. Um, he and I live in very different realities now. Um, I think. Uh, I don't know exactly what caused that or, or what um, what the driving force of that is. I mean, I have some theories, but um, a lot of that stuff that I see and read, I think it probably has nothing to do with whatever he's talking about. It's, it strikes me as um, as driven by driven by something else. Um, which I've seen a lot of, like, I think the pandemic brought it out in a lot of people that probably so, we both know, but I've noticed a kind of a radicalization or uh, uh, an untethering from people um, that otherwise I would have assumed were in, in alignment on. I've just noticed uh, a, an untethering that I don't, I don't know where it's going but it, it certainly worries me. Is that a diplomatic well, answer? I, 
Yeah, and I don't really like that answer because I understand what you're trying to do. I, I, I think you could you could not agree with his opinion and still be respectful towards him, but I understand that you're trying to like keep it, you know, be cool. But like in one regards, I could be like, well, I, I, I understand. I actually could see Ryan thinking almost something similar because he lives in the country and he likes privacy and like he, you know, you're like so so high IQ that high IQ people typically are like quirky and have like weird opinions. But then on the other side, I know like some of the things that you stand for, and I could see you just laughing at that, and being like, "What are you ridiculous?" Uh, it, it, but it's 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 it's, it's weird. I, I've noticed this sort of trend in like sort of tech entrepreneurial people where I don't want to say fads, but it, it's almost like these idea viruses sort of enter the community, and some people end up taking them to like very strange extremes. So like polyamory was one a few years ago and then crypto is one i i i have I, like i'm not anti-crypto i i i i think there's a lot in crypto I've, i'm invested in it too but then then it, then in the pandemic there was like then there was this sort of anti-vax uh anti-lockdown anti like covid denialism that was one and then i'm i'm very alarmed by some of the people that I know in that space that are now going in sort of um, like a it's it's worse than a Trumpian direction. It's more of like a January sixth like uh, end of the government, like a like a toxic uh, like we got to buy guns and I have guns, but there's there's this like almost like uh, like doomsday like disaster cultish direction that it's going in, and I don't it strikes me as coming from somewhere other than like what they're actually say it's coming about. Does that make sense? And by that, do you mean uh, the belief is coming from some other like kind of reasons or the motives meaning like, uh, like they're trying to make money. Yeah. Like if we perpetuate this, we'll get more notoriety. We'll get more money. We'll get more attention. Like, you know, there's some people like clickbait is in general is that right? Like, oh, I may not believe this. Like, if you watch a sports talk show yeah. on ESPN, they don't necessarily think that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, but they know if they say it, it gets clipped and it gets shared. And so there's like this, yeah, I, I do. I, I perform yeah. versus like, do you think that the belief has come from somewhere or the motive might be driving them to extreme, you know, radicalize? I think it's both those things. So I think number one, uh, all these people are, are very smart, right? And so if you've built your whole career being smart and being a contrarian, it can put you in an uncomfortable position where you're like rejecting things that make sense because that's instinctively where you go. Like this is what happened with 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 Dove at American Apparel. His whole everything he did was fucking insane. I'm going to start a USA apparel company. I'm not going to use professional models. I'm going to pay a living wage. None of that makes any sense. That was all of those individually are very bad ideas. But he somehow built a billion dollar company out of it. So then when people were like. You need to hire a professional operator uh, inside. You know, you need to hire a real CFO and a real CMO and all this stuff. He was like, no. Right. So he just got used to rejecting everyone's advice. And it, it, it led to this downward spiral. So I think that there's a little bit of that. I think there is um, I think there is this sort of as people uh, become like I think there's you know what audience capture is where you sort of get used to telling the audience what they want to hear. And so the algorithm is very seductive. It tends to reward, like, obviously controversial things. It rewards, uh, you know, uh, polarizing things. And so I think what happens as certain people's relevance slips, 
they are more prone to the, it's like you know you're always putting stuff out and if what you've put out in, in the world pitch. hasn't been working uh and then suddenly you like you chance upon something as as uh compelling as like anti-vax or uh this or that that then it, it you it's like you're getting it's like a, t a blast from the past you're like fuck this is it right so i think there i think there's some of that uh that, that's taking that's spiraling people i also think just the pandemic fucks with people's head it's, it's been a long like, like we're not meant to live like this i think it's that um the other thing like in, in like a joe rogan or some of the intellectual dark web people i'm also noticing i just like when you've been very mistreated by like say the media or just like elite culture um it's very hard for you to agree with those people even when they're right so you end up going back to the contrarianism you end up like going against things that ordinarily you wouldn't agree, you would totally agree with, but from a tribal perspective, um, you know, you, you, it's imagine if Trump had gotten reelected, like how many liberals would have trouble with the vaccine because you would have to then agree with a Trump thing. Um, I think, I think we're seeing that. I think this is why in a lot of men who have been uh, sort of not media darlings, are going towards some of the direction of things we're talking about. It's just a sort of like, I'll die before I agree with those people on anything. Right. There's a, there's this chart I saw that was amazing. It was in a, it was in a crypto annual report. And it said, you know, what is, what are some of the underlying things that drive this? Like crypto is like a religion. Yeah. It's like a cult. It's like, you know, this very, very strong. It's not just the same as like, I like this business. I I'm going to invest in this asset. You know, people don't feel the same way about Bitcoin as they do, you know, a piece of property in Dallas. And so it's a, it was this chart and the chart basically was on the on the on the Y axis. It was like, do you believe it was about institutions? It goes, do you believe that institutions are like credible or not credible? Meaning like, yeah. are they honest or are dishonest? Is I think the way they put it. And then on the other side was, are they competent or incompetent? And it's like rank these institutions. It was like the U.S. government. It's like dishonest, not, not competent, incompetent. And then it was, um, the CDC and it's, and it showed how they've been moving over time. And basically every institution that you could think of, whether it's universities, whether it's health organizations, the NIH and who, and, and CDC, whether it's the U S government, they are all sort of traveling towards dishonest and incompetent as the general public viewpoint of them. And this has a bunch of implications is like, well, so people, so the things that reject institutional beliefs, so you see Joe Rogan just explode in popular, you know, he's bigger, his show is bigger than quote unquote mainstream media. He is more mainstream than mainstream media, but his brand is not an institution and he doesn't look like them. He doesn't read off a teleprompter. And so he's got this like appearance of higher honesty, higher competency. And so the same thing is true with crypto, which is non-government money and blah, blah, blah. And so it, all these things are like on trend yes. right now. And that doesn't necessarily make them more honest and competent, but it is the perception that's going Yeah, on. and I, the, when I was listing the different things, the other one I'd put in there is I think like psychedelics is another one where it just becomes like this idea virus. And I'm not saying that I have a disagreement about it. I'm just, it's very interesting how these things just sort of infect these different subgroups and become almost a new, uh, it's their identity is primarily in that the, the mat, the, it's like, it's very tempting to fall into a thing where you're smarter or better than other people. That's sort of outsider mentality. And so I think uh, I'm just, I'm very wary of how that's 
affected people that I know. And I'm worried it's taking some of the more fragile people into a dark, potentially dangerous direction where they're just, they're fucking with things that once you fuck with, they're very difficult to unfuck. And hmm. speaking of, of psychedelics, and we'll wrap up in a yeah. second here. Um, I saw, I follow, uh, so we've talked about Aubrey yes. Marcus on the podcast because Aubrey has a crazy story because his dad like in, invented like the fleshlight and then he like kind of parlayed that into building this awesome uh, supplement empire. But I got this Instagram ad or maybe I just saw on his page. So Sean, I don't know if you saw this. Aubrey Marcus, the guy we talked about, yeah. he has this documentary where somewhat recently he spent, I think, seven days in complete darkness. Like, and and I heard maybe it was in Cerro Gordo. Am I getting the details? No, it's right definitely here? not at Cerro Gordo. Oh, I know he it, has a ranch in Sedona. It maybe it was there. Oh, okay. Well, I, for some reason, I thought it was at yours. Okay, I'm wrong then. But did did am I right though in that it was like five or three or seven, like a multiple days in complete pitch I have dark? No, I have I've not heard about that, but I am. Uh, oh man, I, li- I like Aubrey a lot. I've known Aubrey a long time, but he's he, I, I I'm a little worried about him. <laughs> he he's a wild man, Sean. You didn't see this, so, so what he was basically, the idea? Why did he? Do okay, this? so. Uh, I, I, so basically, he had a, a a night vision camera looking at him, and he was in a small room with a bed and basically pitch dark. And after 24 hours or something like that, he kind of starts hallucinating and kind of goes crazy. And he's talking to himself. And the whole documentary is uh, is basically showing the night vision camera of him talking to himself and then like a voiceover and some flashbacks of him talking like what he was experiencing to that point. And he was trying to go through like almost a psychedelic experience because I guess there's something where I, I don't know the science behind it, where you're in the dark for a long time. You start going nutty and have some realizations. I don't know if it's true or not, but it was fucking insane. It was crazy. I mean, it, the way that I see it is like, to me, it's like, it, I don't care if I'm an outdoorsman. If I see a huge epic mountain, I'm going to be in awe. And that's how I was with Aubrey Marcus in this documentary. I'm like, I don't care about drugs. I don't care about Do this guy that much. Or you just saw the ad. I just saw, I, I, I watched parts of it. I started watching parts of it because he released like five minutes at a time on his Instagram. And I started watching parts uh, of it. Okay. He is, it's the fucking craziest thing I've ever seen. The guy's insane. Uh, you have to watch this shit. It is does, wild. Does he come Complete out okay darkness. at the other side? Or you haven't gotten to the end? Well, this was filmed like a year ago. Like he he says, on Instagram, so, so we, we assume it all worked out okay. Well, I, I, the reason I didn't buy it is it, I'm afraid. I'm kind of afraid to watch it. But like, He's wild, man, because I watch his Instagram and I see some of the shit he does. And I'm like, this is I'm just I'm very I'm very concerned that these people are messing with their brain chemistry in a way that it's hard to come back from. And, you know, uh, I I, I am I am not a fan of uh, this sort of like uh, prescribed medicine for yourself to heal unnamed traumas. Like, I I think it's going to end very badly. Um, Maybe I'm a little conservative. and uh, I'm missing out on something, but I I don't think you should fuck with your brain the way some of these people are fucking with their brains. And I, I think it's going to I think we're are, we're starting to see some of the ramifications of it with some of the stuff we're talking about here. But I, I think this is hard to put back in the bottle. Yeah, this this is wild. This is I, it, it, are you looking it up? Yeah, I'm reading oh. about it right now. And... What does it say? Is it seven days? <laughs> it was like days. So, so like, okay, there's a part of this I can get behind, which is like, you know, people, whether they go try to climb Mount Everest or Wim Hof getting in a cold bla- cold bath every day to like, you know, challenge themselves to like, 
like it's a you know there's a form of meditation for example so he says my thinking was this if the prospect of sitting in the dark with just your own thoughts frightens you, maybe that's exactly where you need to be. Oh my God. And, no. You know, Rattlesnakes scare me too. I don't need to get bit by a rattlesnake. <laughs> and so oh, on it for me, there's a part of this that I actually like, I get part of that, which is like, um, I think the more comfortable you could be with yourself and by yourself and not need stimulation, not need others, not need constant entertainment. I do think that that is like a direction personally that I would like to go in where I can, I can be at peace and happiness without something going on. Now, in this and this one, I think is less. It to me, it's less scary than like being like, yeah, I'm going to start microdosing LSD or like I'm going to go on this ayahuasca trip in the fucking forest because I heard Joe Rogan say that it was transformational. To me, that's like way higher risk and um, maybe not necessary compared to you know. I guess this darkness thing is a little bit less permanent feeling for me. But, I mean, is it, um, that's what they do to but then people I in also interrogation just think, to like break them. I, I don't think it's something you want to be messing with. But again, yeah, maybe it is like deeply traumatic. I'm not sure. Hey, you know what the phrase is? Whatever doesn't kill you makes you weaker. <laughs> Seriously, man. I don't. I don't know. I'm... <laughs> Whatever doesn't kill you fucks you up really bad. <laughs> I always read these. Is to me, these are like um, these are content stunts, right? This is no different than Jackass and and a bunch of other things, like. Maybe some people come from a good place and I'm just kind of skeptical about all this stuff. Like, for example, I'll give you, Ryan, I'll get, make it personal for you, which is like, when I saw the Daily Stoke, I was like, oh, that's smart. Stoicism is this growing trend. He probably likes Stoicism, but like, you can like it without having to do all the work of creating a con daily email sure. and content around it. Like, that is the opportunistic side of this, like, kind of cool niche thing that's clearly growing. And I've said, I, I'm, I don't know you, right? So I'm just thinking from afar, I'm thinking, oh, that's smart. Um, and, you know, he probably recognized this growth and said, okay, I could build a cool brand around this thing that I like and I see is growing. And so when I see, and, and you know, so for example, if I see you making a TikTok every day about stoicism, I think to myself, well, you know, uh, I don't know how much of that is like, well, this content is going to work, so I'm going to sure. do it versus... I really just needed to get this off my heart and share this with the world. So similarly, when I see, you know, these stunts, I think to myself, well, they know this is content that's going to hit and they can get a bunch of attention from it. And like, did he really need to do this and want to do this? I'm not sure. Right. Those motivations get mixed. I know for myself, they get mixed because, um, you know, if I, I've had a bunch of tweets go viral, I, you know, I added 200,000 Twitter followers last year It's very addictive. And in, uh, I don't know if you saw his, uh, the, the, um, the stand-up special that, that Hassan is oh, doing so right now. Good. But he, did you see him when he was in Austin? He has this part in it. He, did you see him that? when he was in Austin? I saw him uh, in San Francisco. Uh, I live in San Francisco. So I saw him when he was here and he's got this whole part where he's basically like, you know, he's like, I challenged, you know, this dictator who was doing this thing and then boom, that clip goes viral. I made fun of Trump at this thing. Boom, that clip goes viral. The likes, the views, the followers, so the comments. And he's just like fucking inject this into my veins. I need that next hit. So I went after the next big dictator and then the next big fish. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, there was a price to be paid for it. He talks about how he received something in the mail uh, that was like, you know, some like anthrax looking thing and it got on his kid and it turned out to be all okay. But like his wife was like, dude, you have to figure out how to keep maybe that on you a leash. shouldn't be poking it's the really bear. Important. And that's kind of what yeah. you're talking about, right? There's you got to figure out how to keep that on a leash. And I think about that a lot. And I think about it, you know, even with what I do, I remember I was, uh, I was on some big morning show and I remember thinking like, there's a, I know what I could do 
to make this like national news. Like I, I know I could, I'm, I've got a, you know, an audience of several million people right now. What I, what, and then just going like life is too fucking short. And also I want to continue to live in reality. And so I think what happens is certain people get desperate or maybe their judgment is not good or they don't have someone in their life. That's like, eh, you know, that could work, but what about this, 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 and this, uh, as a consequence. And, uh, you can, you can become unhinged very quickly. Um, especially if there is any also, you know, uh, comorbidities with like a mental illness or, you know, like, and so I, it, most of the people who want to be in the public eye, you're already a little, you know, like that. Uh, and so you got to be really, really careful. And I'm, I'm worried about where some people I know are going. Yeah, Sam, as a fitness influencer, I've been wanting to talk to you also about your uh, excessive exercise and w what this might be leading to. <laughs> hey, man, you, I might, got... you might spend three days in darkness only doing squats uh, just to you know hit, the, hit those views. I'm in a good place, my friend. I'm, I'm doing everything right at the moment. We'll see how long that can last. Ryan, this has been it awesome, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. This is fun. Um, thanks, for ha thanks for coming in. The name, we didn't even say the name of the book. Courage yes. is Calling, right? Um, it's awesome. I, I've not read that one yet, but I'm going to buy it. I've read everything else. Perennial seller obstacles way conspiracy. I guess I've read four: conspiracy and, um, um, uh, trust me, I'm lying. And then the middle two are, uh, um, the stillness one. I haven't read that one. Stillness, oh, the is, stillness key. is the key. And then ego is the enemy is the one I think you're missing. The ego yes. is very good. And obstacles away is very good. Those are both, both great. Well, and you're, you're awesome. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming.